Hey everyone, welcome to the End User Computing Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Dane Young. And with me on this call, I have Andy Wood, Barry Good Coombs. Evening. Hi. Chris Rogers. Hey. Thomas Poppelgard. Hi. And Steve Greenberg. Hey. Good evening and good afternoon wherever you are around the world. Um, let me start by introducing the End User Computing Podcast. Hashtag on Twitter, if you want to follow us there, is hashtag EUC Podcast. Uh, if you're joining us live today, we are on www.eucpodcast.com. There's a, uh, a crowd chat and live stream there, as well as the, uh, the YouTube from our Google Hangout. Apologies for the delay. Uh, things are now uh, working properly, and we're about 20 minutes past the hour. And officially, it takes six engineers to get a Google Hangout working properly. So thank you for your patience while we got everything working. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't have any problem with it. Yeah, I was up in a minute. Yeah. I got time for that. I was up early. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. We actually had a bit of technical difficulties, and it was actually translating Danish. So I think that's part of the trap. <laughs> <laughs> Blame it on the Dane. If it was in English, it wouldn't have been a problem, but that Danish is difficult. Danish on so, a Mac. <laughs> Danish on a Mac. It's two, uh, two difficulties there. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and do uh, introductions for anybody um, that, that's uh, not familiar with who we are. Um, uh, my name is Dane Young. Uh, I'm a Citrix technology professional, and recently, uh, within the last two weeks or so, I was awarded the VMware vExpert status as well. Um, I've been doing uh, end-user computing uh, and variations of that term for a couple years now. Uh, started off in desktop engineering, moved into server engineering and architecture, and then uh, found my love kept drawing me back to more of the end-user facing components uh, like server-based computing and, and, uh, and VDI and, and those types of technologies. Um, so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to go around the room, as it were, and do introductions on who we are, what do we do, and what does end-user computing uh, mean to you. So I've already kind of covered who I am and what I do. You can find me on Twitter, at YoungTech, uh, if you're not already following me there. And then um, what does end-user computing mean to you? Um, to me, the term has evolved over the years. Um, it's a bit vague to some, but uh, but to others, you know, we kind of know it as the stuff in the infrastructure, um, whether it's virtualized or not virtualized, uh, that touches the end users. So a lot of the trending topics in in the business world have to do with uh, centralization, uh, potentially decentralization, um, mobility. Um, physical assets, whether those are thin clients or, or PCs, laptops, and how you manage uh, all of that technology, and really moving um, the end-user world forward from a traditional brick-and-mortar with a distributed server-based, uh, client-based solution to something that's a little bit more easier to manage, easier to consume, uh, it has some mobility elements to it. So those are a couple thoughts that I have. Um, Andy Wood, why don't you uh, go and tell us who you are and what do you do and what does end-user computing mean to you? Thanks, Dane, for the person who arrived slightly late to the uh, pre-match party. Um, <clears throat> my name is Andy Wood. I am a, also a 
Citrix Technology Professional, CTP, just as Dane is. Uh, I am also a V expert, uh, just like Dane is. So, same sort of qualifications. Uh, while Dane has been in the industry for a few years, I've been in for a few years plus plus. Uh, my background was in development. Um, I came into delivering end user computing because we needed to put the applications on people's desktops and it was understanding the technology that allowed that to happen and then over the course of time looked at various end user computing delivery mechanisms as in traditional ones, so desktop delivery, uh, thin client computing, server-based computing. That's obviously evolved. Uh, end user computing today is more than just PCs on desks. End user computing is the compute that end users use. How do we manage that? How do we deliver that? How do we let the end users do their job efficiently wherever it is that they do their job? Let's now, for businesses today, free them from computing on a desk in an office to computing wherever they need to work on whatever device they need to use in order to get whatever it is that they need to get done. Done. Consumption and delivery. Let's. Uh, that's the key components for end user compute, in my mind. And how would someone find you on Twitter, Andy? They would find me on Twitter at Gilwood underscore CS. I forgot about that bit. All this newfangled technology, Twitter, <laughs> Google Hangouts, <laughs> pigeons, pigeons, yes. Awesome. Barry, why don't you go next? Hi there, yeah, my name's uh, Barry Coombs. I'm a, a blogger at virtualizedreality.com. Uh, I wrote uh, a book on Horizon View 5 alongside Mike Laverick a few years ago, and just about to release my second book now with a gentleman called Peter Von Oven from VMware. I'm a VMware V-expert for five years in a row, so I come from the VMware camp to keep these uh, Citrix guys a little bit honest on the podcast and try and have some balance. Uh, my background is I've been doing end-user computing technologies for about eight years or more. Uh, started off in the Citrix land presentation server alongside VMware backend, and then I've uh, gone through a variety of different technologies over the years. Um, what I think matters with end-user computing, it, it's, for me, it's all around end-user enablement. It's understanding what their... Um, what, what they're there to do for the business, how can we enable them with the use of technology to, um, to make their job easier, to make them more productive. And as the other guys have mentioned, it's all around being able to make them able to work in a variety of different ways, different places, different devices these days. So end user computing is a lot more than VDI. We're not just talking about VDI, we're talking about uh, mobility, we're talking about server-based computing, we're talking about phys physical computing. There's no problem with a device sat on everybody's desk, but what we need is simplicity for the administrator and the user. So you can find me on Twitter at virtualizedreal and uh, yeah, go to my blog virtualizedreality.com. Fantastic, uh, and thanks for keeping us honest. We will uh, do our best to keep things unbiased and, and move the conversation forward. Chris, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Okay. Chris Rogers. I am also a CTP. Um, I am an old school Unix and Linux guy. I've been doing that for <coughs> 20 years. Um, but uh, I got into Zen Server uh, way back when it was Zen Source and came along to Citrix with that and got introduced to, to these foreign and 
weird concepts like Zen App and Zen Desktop, although it was called Presentation Server at the time, and you know, sort of got into the idea of end-user computing. And you know, for me, it's just another buzzword. It's it's another way of saying exactly the same thing. And you know, what Citrix has been trying to do for a long time, and I think honestly, what we've all been trying to do for a long time is give the end users the reasonably good, hopefully better than reasonably, the very good, and you know, even you know, if we drink the marketing Kool-Aid, the, the excellent user experience that they've come to expect from from corporate IT. So that's pretty much end-user computing, uh, uh, computing to me. Uh, find me on Twitter at CitrixJedi. Sounds good. Uh, Thomas, why don't you go next? Our friend yeah, from Denmark. Hi. My name is Thomas Pavelgaard, and I'm also a Citrix CTP. Uh, I'm also a REST Software Value Professional, so I'm pretty proud of those two awards. I've been in the industry for, for quite a long time, uh, working professionally about 19 years. When I look actually for my, my history, is actually longer than that professionally, which worries me. I'm getting old. Um, where do I start it? Well, uh, I've been working with in the using computing was actually where my, my birth of when I started working with, with, with technologies. So looking at all the network, giving the users a great user experience, uh, image deployment, and so on. Actually, before I started working with, with server-based computing, and that led me to working with Citrix later, and the other technologies uh, that are in that area. Uh, what I'm specialized in is uh, actually graphics visualization, and uh, that's something I've been doing uh, since 2008 for all kind of companies. And, well, what I talk uh, the current is uh, how the GPU is bringing value to virtualization and all that stuff uh, regarding well both remote graphics but also high performance computing and so on. So that's that's my uh, what I'm pretty enthusiastic about. Um, what do I do? So I am independent consultant. I call myself a technology evangelist in my own company. Uh, I help clients with building. Uh, solutions, everything surrounded uh, so about remote graphics. So Citrix uh, stack, VMware stack, and and, and Microsoft stack uh, in that terminology. Um, what does end-user computing means to me? Well, it is uh, the bread and butter for me. So that's what I do a daily business in in that area, and and try to keep up what's happening, and well, trying to also changing the industry and trying to for people also listening what I have in my opinion. Fantastic. And last but not least, Steve Greenberg. Hey, I'm Steve Greenberg from Scottsdale, Arizona in the US of A. And I'm a consultant, longtime virtualization expert. I run a group of geeky misfits out of here, out of Scottsdale. I'm a CTP with Citrix, been a Microsoft MVP. But I was kind of also liking to keep them honest like Barry and wasn't asked back after a few years. Uh, I'm also a Nutanix NTC. That's a new program for people involved in the Nutanix uh, community. And I basically do consulting, building enterprise projects. I've been doing it for a long time. I calculated before the podcast that I did my first Citrix install when Dane was in kindergarten. So this gives you an idea. What does end user computing mean to me? Well, I think it's a facade, 
and it's like you think of a Hollywood movie set, end user computing is that fake building. It should be transparent. It's what gets applications to users that need to do them. And if you're doing your job well, they don't notice them and they don't care. But to me, it's really everything behind the curtain and the complexity and art and science of making that all work well for businesses and organizations to deliver what they need to do their mission. Awesome. Well, I think that's uh, I think that's everybody that's joined us live today. Um, just by means of introductions, uh, we're also going to have uh, Claudio Rodriguez join us at some point, uh, Dwayne Lesner join us at some point, um, Mike Nelson join us at some point, and Alexander Ervik join us at some point. So this is all of us that are live uh, this afternoon, this evening. Um, but we will have others uh, on the pack podcast as well, uh, and we're informally calling ourselves the crew. So um, I'll introduce a couple of the other kind of format and topic uh, for the, the podcast as we go, but... Um, why don't we actually dive into a little bit about um, kind of the infrastructure components that go into end-user computing. Um, what do you think? Steve, you want to kick that one off? Sure. So the general topic is convergence. And, you know, let's go back a little bit and talk about what these new things mean in terms of history. So any computer um, is a stack of components, right? It has hardware it has the ability to boot, it has storage, it has memory, an operating system, applications, a way for the user to interact. That makes up the stack. I like to talk about it like the OSI network stack model. And with end-user computing, that can be delivered anywhere. You can take that stack and chop it up any way you like. But there always, there's always going to be storage, there's always going to be processing, memory, applications, and an interface. And to build that in virtual environments historically, um, you're asking the back end to do quite a bit. When, if you imagine a thousand end-user PC computers sitting on a desk on a LAN, you've distributed all that processing. When you bring it back to the data center, you have to account for everything those users do it basically in one place. And over the many years I've been doing this, the secret sauce has been making that infrastructure work. And it's been the right combination of storage, network, compute, the right memory allocations, sizing, scaling, IOs, being very aware of all of these pieces and finding a solution that works together. And it's been by nature a multi-vendor solution requiring specialties in many areas. And the idea of convergence in its most general sense is to put those together in some kind of box. Then you get into you know hyperconvergence, hyper super ultra platinum convergence. But the idea is you're collapsing all these separate disciplines, products, and interconnections into uh, a more unified, let's say, a box or a product. That's a very general idea, and um, you know some people are really excited. I am personally about what's being called hyperconvergence, where you can buy a box and get the compute node the network and the storage kind of included together and it simplifies the whole stack and I like to think of it as uh, I have an, in my office here have a office max easy button when I get frustrated I hit it and it says that was easy out loud and I kind of feel that way with 
these um, data center stacks is it's been a very difficult discipline requiring a lot of technical knowledge and I like the idea that you just hit the easy button and put these different layers of the stack in one place. So that would be my kind of my thumbnail take on a, a lightning so, speed Steve, history I've, of the data center. I got, a, I got a question for you. So why did Citrix then kill VDI in a box? Because, you know, when you're talking about all this, you know, I, I see, you know, with Spotlight, it's blinking. VDI in a box. <laughs> stuff you just said. I have to agree. I mean, my feedback, um, particularly as a CTP, because so we have access to product groups and so forth, uh, I always thought VDI in a box was a better inherent architecture because it was grid-based. And that's really the, the basis of what you see in products like Nutanix. They use a grid type of storage, you know, a file system that spans nodes. So I'll just have to agree with you and say that I would have liked that be, to become the go-forward architecture. I just think they had two products that overlapped, and they made a decision. I think it's also interesting for that hyperconvergence piece that it's not just about... People talk about hyperconverged. It's not just a technology for VDI. Yeah, and so to go to Barry's point, end-user compute is not just about virtual desktops. End-user compute is about all of the services that people may need. And hyperconverged is simplifying a whole range of different services, not just a virtual desktop infrastructure. It's the supporting services that go into that as well to simplify that data center environment for users. Yes. Well, I mean, my my thought for that is: is there such a thing as simplified? You know, or are we as consultants still going to be going and and running these uh, deployments for all these customers? Because, in in my opinion, feel free. To, uh, this is why I'm putting them out of here. I'm being the, I'm being the devil's advocate. In my opinion, there's no such thing as a simplified infrastructure. This is complicated stuff. It's always going to be complicated stuff. You need highly experienced people to to deal with these kind of problems. I think it depends on the way you look at it and what's simple to one user isn't simple to another user. If you've spent your lifetime in IT getting to know how to use Cisco switches and EMC storage, ripping that all out and putting a Nutanix system might not be the easiest thing for you. And we need to be... You need to almost stop uh, looking at the technology and be looking at the business and understand what is going to work for an individual business. There's, there's, there's no environment that's the same as another. And whilst hyperconversion is very attractive, if you look at the, the simplicity in something like Nutanix or, or EvoRails, it, it's absolutely fantastic. But if you've got large amounts of components within your infrastructure that work for you, does it make sense to be ripping all of those out to deliver something just because it's hyperconverged? It, it really depends on the business use case, what's available and what's simple for the people that are going to be administering it on a daily basis. Yeah, ideally from yeah, and it's also it's also about user experience. I, I'm I'm sorry to break out to you guys, but it's also about user experience. And you can look at what the GPUs are doing right now. You know, why has it been one of the missing links? User experience again needs to point that out. End user computing, and it is getting embraced now. But do we see the hyperconverged solution embracing this yet? Is this a standard for it? No. Why? Anybody can answer me why? So the guy uh, uh, just uh, uh, <laughs> Not everybody guys the expert. Dean, why? Okay. Dean you decide who talks. <laughs> Andy, why don't you go for it? 
there, it, well, there was a, there was a minor giggle in in that uh, Thomas's point appeared to be why we're we not having more people using advanced graphics with his expertise and background being advanced graphics. I'm sure that you'd love for more people to be doing that. Um, I think it's it's going to increase, but from an end user compute perspective, not everyone has been dealing with that, and there are alternative there are alternatives that have been easier to deploy. Easy to use, easy to build in. Back to Barry's point, easy to build into environments without necessarily centralizing using technologies that people are used to. It goes back to that: why do I need to throw everything out and change entirely the way that I work just to embrace a new and fancy technology? Why don't I? Why don't I incrementally change? Because that's easier from a team point of view. It's easier from a business point of view. Easier from a cost point of view. Sometimes easy is just to keep doing what it is that you're doing. Unless there's a big monumental shift, you're running out of space, you're running out of power, you're running out of capacity in your data center, then then people start to look at things differently. But when those aren't pressing, then people are more inclined to same old, same old, keep what they've been doing. And that's, that's changing right now, right? That's, that's changing. I, I, I think that is changing right now, where people are realizing that they can, as they as they encompass larger teams or teams that aren't necessarily all based in the same building or they want to reduce the amount of buildings that they've got, they want to enable home working, then that, that changes. But there hasn't been that impetus. So the latest, if you want to hear the latest, what I'm seeing right now is actually clients who have been using VDI, been doing SPC, again, I need to point out, without GPUs and, and normal VDI, that there is actually clients who are really, where the users are complaining about what they're doing. And that's, that's forcing them to look you know, what can we do? How can we make sure that they still have this VDI solution instead of they converting back to laptops? Because that's also something that is happening. I think, I think it's, 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 it sounds crazy, right? Because it, now there's been this movement of VDIs. I, I think, yeah, Barry has a good point on this. I, I think it all comes down to what our users require and what is going to give our users the best user experience. At the end of the day, if we can afford to give our users the, the most vCPU they require, the most memory they require, a, a dedicated graphics card, that's going to be absolutely fantastic. But then we end up struggling with the business case, struggling with the cost. So, so we get to a stage where we can deliver a good enough solution. And certainly we have found more recently that including an NVIDIA grid card in some way or manner, or, or at least configuring the, the, the most amount of virtual graphics me uh, memory for the desktops, th it makes a significant improvement to the users. Whilst our user might not need to do heavily graphics-intensive applications, they're going to want to go on YouTube at some point and watch a video. And if that doesn't work right, that's not going to leave them with a very nice taste in their mouth. So it's about getting that, that fine measure. And I think going back to the point that, that Thomas started mentioning is why aren't the GPUs included in many more of the hyper-converged solutions I think we need to see that out of the box. I believe Nutanix have an option for that now in their solution. Um, things like EvaRail, there's no reason why it shouldn't be included um, in the Horizon options. And, and then you choose the way that you're going to use that for your users, whether that's a shared mode, a dedicated mode, or, or the new vGPU mode. So it's, it's all around choice and building the business case and making it affordable while still keeping your eye out for the, the uh, end user experience. Yeah. Also, don't don't forget about the least common denominator in all of this, which is the user desires, the user uh, um, uh, user experience. And it, I'm I'm constantly reminded of a very very large VDI deployment I did a, I did a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, whole 
uh, you know, deliver all the applications, all the data, the usual kind of stuff. What ended up winning out was Windows 8 tablets running Outlook remotely over a VPN because that's what the executives wanted to do. Yeah. Nothing more than email. It's crazy. Okay, fine. We lost. That's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. So w one last point on that, um, just to kind of uh, tie the knot on that particular topic. Um, while, while this is not going to be uh, the GPU podcast, there is a big element of GPU um, that is going to start um, really blowing people's minds and opening up the industry to to things that weren't possible before. And, and by that, I mean the forthcoming release of uh, vSphere 6 and vGPU for vSphere um, is going to dramatically change the game uh, and is already changing the game for those that are in the, um, the tech previews and, and kind of the private alpha betas uh, that are available, both customers and partners. So my perspective on why we don't see GPU as prevalent in hyperconverged is that a lot of the hyperconverged players that are out there uh, are targeted around the vSphere platform uh, as their, their method of delivering that infrastructure. Yes, Nutanix does Hyper-V, but let's not get into Hyper-V and GPUs because that's a whole different conversation altogether. Um, but the, the predominant marketplace for uh, vGPU particularly in the last two years has been the Zen server market space. And that has been a uh, Citrix-only conversation up to this point, uh, Zen apps and desktop, and, and I guess other brokers as well, but primarily a Citrix conversation. When... GPU comes to vSphere in a big way, and I mean vGPU because direct pass-through isn't really opened up enough of the market for that. Uh, it's it's going to be a game changer in terms of where we're seeing GPUs deployed and in what use cases and what target populations of uh, of user user communities. Um, so those are my thoughts on there. Um, we have talked a little bit about uh, Evo Rail. Uh, and we kind of danced around the topic. We've talked a little bit about Nutanix and danced around the topic. Who wants to take uh, Evo Rail and potentially vSAN? Um, Barry, you want to take that one and talk about some things that are coming on that front? Um, it's probably not an area that I can add too much detail in. I mean, my uh, my background and, and more recently, I've been concentrating on more kind of understanding the business cases and helping. Uh, the users understand where the technology will fit. But I've been looking at some designs recently, particularly around the vSAN ReadyNose. They, they seem to, to fit well within the use cases that I've been working with. Um, and certainly the way that you're able to more granularly start them. And now, I don't know where you guys find this, but normally I find my customers wanting to start with a very small proof of concept when they're looking at certainly the VDI technologies, wanting to kind of, kind of kick the... Um, Kick the uh, kick around sort of a 50 to 100 desktop proof of concept, and the vSAN ready nodes give you a lot of abilities still to customize it. Whereas currently the Evo Rail solutions are very rigid into their design and the way that you can utilize them. That's now, right. uh, obviously with the vSphere 6, we're seeing quite a few changes with vSAN 6, and presumably we're going to see that technology come through to those. Um, uh, two architectures, namely we've got an all-flash uh, configuration now that I think delivers up to five times the performance, and the the, the standard um, uh, converged architecture, the sorry, the um, hybrid is up to two times. So I, I think as we're seeing more features being added to the vSAN technology, as we're seeing better performance, um, I think we're going to see it more and more often, but 
for me, again, it, it, there's not a single solution that meets everybody's requirement, and it's about getting that right. So while we're on that topic of, of performance and storage and the need for an all-flash vSAN, um, you know, there's there's an elephant in the room that we're not really touching on, and that that is, why would an end-user computing guy or somebody that's deploying and using these technologies um, or engineering these technologies, why would someone care about storage performance? What's the elephant in the room that we haven't really talked about yet? Dane, this is Steve. I'd like to comment on that. That's sort of why I, I defined convergence the way I did, because I.O. performance and performance of the underlying architecture directly ties to user experience. So I mentioned that you know, end-user computing is kind of the facade, but it has to be transparent. And just take a laptop as the simplest, you know, most granular example. Mm -hmm. If you have a laptop and you have an old spinning drive in it, you're probably going to get about 80 IOPS off that drive, just a general statement. You replace it with a solid state drive, and all of a sudden you're getting thousands of IOPS, and every user, whoever does that, goes, wow, this is great, right? So that simple dynamic of I press something and what happens comes all the way up through the stack. It just has to be there. And you can do it, and you've been able to do it for the last several years, but as Chris was saying, it takes a lot of expertise and specialty. Now some of these converged offerings are putting the flash very close to the VM, um, either as all flash, all SSD, or as a tier. And so they're giving that user that instantaneous experience. And that's what it comes down to, experience. You can build a low-cost data center full of hosting options, but if people get on and go, this is kind of crappy, they're not going to use it. They're not going to adopt it. I think the problem has been traditionally we've been trying to deliver VDI at the cheapest cost point pro, uh, possible to make it affordable. And we've seen some very suspect figures coming from the likes of Citrix and VMware claiming that you can get away with five IOPS per user, 10 IOPS per user or less. And it's just the operative simply, term there is return on investment. Indeed. <laughs> it, it's just... What what is possible and what is going to deliver the best end user experience is two completely different things. Um, we've had that extreme where we're we're not trying to keep it down too low, but we want to deliver something better, more performant, and that maybe has been quite uh, expensive with an all flash and array or something like that. But I think with these hyper-converged platforms, with the other technologies like Atlantis, we're able to now deliver that SSD-like performance and, and uh, the benefits to the user um, while still able to have that return on investment if you were uh, where it needs to be. Perfect. So we've, we've talked about some of the underlying uh, infrastructure plumbing talked a little bit about uh, vSAN, Evo Rail, uh, some pieces that are coming there. Steve, I think you've done a little bit of research uh, recently since uh, the beginning of January when Citrix made some of their announcements about Workspace Pod and uh, their acquisition of a technology uh, from a company, Sanbolic. You want to talk just a, a couple minutes on that before we dive into the next topic? Sure. It's, a, it's another example of the convergence that we've been talking about, of trying to give that experience both to the admin and installer and to the user. So for the admin, it's like other converged or hyper-converged solutions where storage and compute are together in the box, and it's Citrix's take on it. And it's a pretty interesting one. What they showed 
were two hardware platforms, and HP converged Moonshot with a storage thing and the data on um, cluster box, which previously was acting as like a Windows storage server, now can be a converged storage and compute infrastructure. So it's the same concept we've been talking about, but they go about it a little bit differently. They acquired the company Sambolic, who was always known for creating a high-performance clustered file system, which is another area that's very important in some of these solutions and in the underlying infrastructure, that you can have shared storage across nodes that can be resilient and high-performance. They extended that a bit down to kind of the block level and allow you to take these inexpensive drives, um, rate them up, cluster them, and present them out to VMs. The, the initial use case is showing Hyper-V and SMB3 type implementations. But again, it's this idea of taking what used to be 10 boxes and a, a small group of experts and putting it, you know, quote unquote, in the box. It's an interesting take on it. And I think all the other things we've heard discussed so far, EvoRail, vSAN, GPU, are all the same dynamic. How do we make it simpler, better, and give the admin and the end user a great experience? It's not out yet, but it's cool that Citrix has, um, you know, made a claim in this area. I think it's interesting that people are building on vendors who, are, who provide it all in their own box to providing platforms that allow people to choose the hardware that they are more used to. So you can take some EvoRail, the EvoRail concept and put it on whatever equipment that you're used to. You can take your hardware that you're comfortable with, that you understand, that you understand how to manage it. Maybe you've even got it in place today and, and take that hyper-converged concept and build your own without necessarily throwing away entirely or entirely what it is that you've already built on, built on, invested in. And it's interesting looking at what Citrix are doing with this technology to allow those technologies to be deployed for a hyper-converged end-user computer environment. Yeah, and, and to be honest, doesn't it sound awfully familiar to what uh, Zuckerberg and Facebook are doing with the Open Compute project? Uh, if any of you have, have looked into that a bit. What's interesting there is they're using just commodity pieces of hardware, yeah? There's, there's, and designing up and around it. The hardware, as far as that project is concerned, is is immaterial and cheap. It's the software that sits on top of it that's the, that's the clever piece that binds it all together, glues it all together. Obviously, with Yoda in the room, he'd understand entirely. Um, the, yeah. the real focus yeah. is not necessarily the hardware. The real focus is delivering the application at scale so that the user gets the best experience and you can expand as you need rather than expand into what it is that you've bought. Well, and I would add that I think that's the measure of convergence is does it integrate cloud scale approaches? And um, Nutanix, which I'm a fan of, absolutely does. The difference is taking your storage and creating a grid, a distributed file system. And that's the kind of thing that Google and Facebook do. And really, I think the underlying dynamic here is cloud practices migrating into the enterprise. We like to call it all kinds of fancy things, and everybody wants to claim to do it first. But I think that's basically what's happening here, and it's a good thing. It is indeed a good thing. Uh, but obviously, when we say cloud, 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 
it's not big and massive, yes, it's just that simplicity of operation and easy scale. But I, 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 need, I need to point out one thing. What Nutanix is doing is awesome with their software, right? But they're also doing with only VMware and Hyper-V. They have been failing, what I've seen many times with if we take the GPU stuff, now that's definitely going to change when VMware are going to support the vGPU, which is pretty soon. And then, you know, then you have, I, I think Nutanix, I, I first see them as a complete stack. That's that's my opinion and view. Um, this is a pretty hard subject to talk about because not everybody agrees on me. Most people think that the soft GPU is good enough. But what is good enough when you look at an experience? Like Steve, you were mentioning, you take a laptop and then you expect that your apps works fast with storage, right? So you, you have this SSD, you expect the fast user experience. But that same thing goes with graphics. When you open up a browser, so that's browser graphics, and when you're moving around the stuff, right, so you expect the stuff to be smooth, responsive, and that's what the GPU does. A lot of people only think it's the GPUs made for the cat, high-end cat applications, free to graphics stuff. Th th this is changing, and, and this is... Well, a lot of people is, need to be educated. Uh, I, 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 I know I can go on with this. Uh, you, you can indeed, and I've heard you many times go on. <laughs> no, no, but, but marvelously, marvelously entertaining. What, what I would agree with, though, is that uh, you go back three or four years, and most people's IT experience was was at work, and and their experience of opening a browser, an experience of browsing the web, was their work PC, which was generally not not brilliant. People's experience has been enhanced by the devices that they have personally, and the devices they have personally typically run at a faster rate than what business PCs have. Their experience now, when you introduce new stuff, is I, I want as good as what I, what I have at home, and what and at okay. home for many people is much much faster, and and that is the browsing experience, that's switching between applications, that's opening up applications. They expect it to work as quickly as when they're at home doing whatever it is that they do at home. And what the business environment needs to catch up with is that. It goes back to uh, Chris's point earlier on. It like, used to be that senior execs would drive what people are buying. Now I think there's a, there's a wider business drive from users who have a better expectation of what it is that they get on their end device. And if that's not delivered, then they kick off and they get grumpy, it, which is right, all is well that, Is that an illusion? Is, is that, do the executives still make the decision, even though the users are still kicking and screaming, the executives I, still say, no, I, we're going to do it this way. <laughs> I, I, uh, do you know what? I, I see many organizations where the execs attempt to put stuff in over and above what the users expect or experience, and that's where your project gets really messy or tends to fail. Best projects, projects that win, projects that deliver, projects that do that ROI bit with the I actually delivering, are when everyone... <laughs> is when everyone's on the same page, yeah? and if you've got one person trying to push it through that doesn't deliver on what everyone else wants, and I'm sure, you know, Barry will attest to this, Thomas will expect to this, maybe even Steve probably, with all of his experience give, would be the same thing. I should probably give a disclaimer to those that are listening that my general day-to-day -day involves the United States federal government. So I might have a slightly <laughs> different <laughs> yeah, yeah. idea of what it is for end-user Value. Uh, I, I did. I did a lot of work with uh, with with the British government. What was interesting was that the projects that do really well are the ones where they listen to the end people, and the projects that don't is where they don't. <laughs> yeah. I think that the main thing on this is 
allowing the users to be able to work in the way that they are going to be most productive. And, and I think the whole way that the end user computing market is going to change is to allow that in the future. Whilst, whilst in the meantime we're talking about VDI and how that can be an enabler and, and those other things, the long term we're talking about how can we let those users pick up whichever device is in front of them and securely allow them to get on with their work however however they wish to, to, to do that. And that, that's the way the market is going in the long term. And it's, it's how can we enable that, how can we make uh, that possible today and, and technology like VDI is one option to that but we, we've also got other platforms that are coming along that are progressing, other ways to be able to stream applications. Uh, I certainly know sitting on, on my side of the fence looking at kind of Citrix uh, sort of differing over the years about what was happening with, with Zen App and were they sort of not going to do it anymore, were they going to going to do it anymore. So to me that had always been an obvious way to, to allow users to use their devices and just get the applications across to there. Um, but obviously in, in the long term we're talking about those cloud platforms. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It's about the flexibility to deliver things in multiple ways. But to Thomas's point, all of those ways are going to require good GPU performance or the user's not going to accept it. So I think it's yeah. kind of a baseline. In, right. So either your device has a good GPU, either the device has a good GPU, or, or all the way down the stack. Yeah. So if you've got a back-end environment that has poor GPU performance, your delivery device, regardless of how good that is, will suffer. Uh, likewise, if you flip it around, I, I've heard of projects where they've put massive GPU performance at the back-end, which is absolutely marvelous, and it runs... Incredibly Beautiful. fast. Yeah. <laughs> I, had to, I had to temper that because we're being recorded. But yes, in, in incredibly fast. But what's been delivered on, the thin client that they've got, hasn't got the capacity to deliver uh, um, what's being provided at the back end. I realize um, that's not all, always the case, but you know, that can happen. I need to point out that could be many things. Now, this is a touchy area to talk with. I also be, need to be really, Damn. really fragile. Because I, I, so I, I know what the problem is with that, actually. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> and for maybe a reduced rate, you could solve it. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying, you know, not everything needs to be where it could be hardware. But it could, also be, it could be a bug. It could be a bug. Yeah, it's true. So There's that's why we have software, right? That's why no, we have amazing software. software. And, and that's why... Fin clients has been one of the areas that <laughs> that's always place for for improvement. Just put put it point that out. Yeah. Um, but I but I agree on you. I really agree on you, Andrew. I, th I think it's an area that's easily overlooked, the thin clients. Uh, people concentrate on what's going on on the back end, how many IOPS have they got on their SAN, um, or how much memory they're going to have per desktop, what, what GPU is required, and then the thin clients get left out at the end. They're the bit that gets trimmed from the budget. And for, for many different reasons, it, it's a really important aspect to, to any successful VDI project, even if you're just considering what the use case of the user is. Are they going to have to use things like Microsoft Link inside their desktop? Um, what, what other use cases are going on in the future? What, what are the users going to be doing on their desktop in four or five years' time if they want to continue using those thin clients? Is there a way that that thin client could get repurposed for, for future changes to the system? It, it should be a big consideration as part of the project. That's one of the biggest sources of project issues is under-specking the endpoint. It's exactly as Barry said. It's very common to focus on the back end, assure IOPS and performance, even v, you know, vGPU allocations, 
but then to throw the cheapest device you can on the desktop. Um, we, we come across that a lot with clients who insist on choosing the thin client. It really has to be integrated all the way down to the endpoint. has to be all part of your validation, your performance expectations. And unfortunately, most thin clients are low-end devices. You have to approach it very, very carefully. We almost always get a better result by using the existing desktop device repurposed as a thin client with something like Transformer because the onboard graphics tend to outperform Okay, go ahead. No, I need to point one out. We got Windows and we got Linux, and there is a difference. There is a difference with user experience with in-clients on the receiver or if you're using which other kind of stacks. And everything is going down to experience, really? Yeah. Yes, this <laughs> is something nobody talks about. That. I'm I'm an old school Linux user, so, so enlighten me on this. <laughs> yeah, Linux, Linux, it really just works. Let's just put it at that, okay? They perform, right. they perform really, really great. Uh, something my, we can my, delve into at another time. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to raise. So what, we're seeing this Raspberry Raspberry two, right? And a lot of people are asking why why not use Raspberry Pi two? Sorry, Resp. Berry. Raspberry Pi. Raspberry Pi 2. Take a run up. Yep. Yeah. Is there something you can see? Raspberry Pi 2 as a thin client device. Do you know what? We, we had uh, one of the guys who comes to the Citrix UK user group was going to do a presentation until, until bizarrely, he decided to go on holiday during one of our sessions. Uh, Matt Nichols, if you're listening, I'm, I'm thinking about you. He, he had a whole presentation sorted out where he was going to show off uh, Raspberry Pi 2 running Windows 10 as a, as a thin client uh, device, which would be interesting. It's a low-cost device. be interesting to understand what the performance is. It does fit into what th those, whole, those conversations around what's the cost of the device? Is it performant for the user? Is it going to deliver what the applications that they want? I mean, if, if we talk about device, it's not just... Cheapness, it's screen real estate. You know, can it can it put out the, the right real estate for users? You know, does it run hot? How, how, how does it how does it fit? Where do you put it? Does it come in a box? How do you plug it in? What does it plug into? All of those questions need to be answered and fits it. In, as as the point that Steve was making is, whenever you're looking at devices that are going to deliver for the end user that they're going to interact with, how does it fit in? Does it perform as they're expecting? Does it deliver on expectations? Does it allow them to perform as they want to do? Um, you know, it might be a cool technology that's just cool for cool's sake, in which case, fair enough, but it might have a business purpose, but it's still a bit of an unknown for that one. It's it's more of a of a shared project than a business project at the moment, I would think. So last um, last little bit on this, because we've... Uh, We've taken all kinds of rabbit trails, and it's been a good discussion. Um, but I think the last piece that I just want to highlight, and we've kind of been banging around the bush for this entire podcast on it, is that um, if you go back a couple years, um, the the two biggest missing elements um, that, that were grossly overlooked historically uh, have been around storage performance. Um, I/O and throughput and, and all of that and how that impacts uh, virtual desktops at, at scale. Um, there's a lot of awesome resources out there uh, around that, including one that Ruben uh, wrote a couple years back uh, around deep impact, uh, storage performance deep impact. 
So there's a lot of good topics around there. Um, the other is around uh, the graphical element and how every device that's shipping to end users these days has some form of, of graphics processing on board. And if you're missing that in your, your solution, then you're largely going to miss the boat um, and, and miss some of those applications. And, and some of, uh, not to toot Thomas's horn a bit, but some of the assessments that he's done recently, uh, it was fascinating to see that uh, it was actually the browsers uh, that were some of the largest consumers of, of GPU compute and, and frame buffer or memory resources. So, you know, a couple different topics there, but I think from an infrastructure standpoint, we have things pretty well covered. Um, maybe we'll save some of the operating system and application and, and some of this end-user management piece um, for uh, the follow-on uh, podcast. Um, but I think good discussions here. Um, I, I'm personally uh, doing a bit of research and, and work with uh, the Windows 10 up upcoming releases, so I'm going to be interested to see how uh, the GPU is, is leveraged and different pieces going on with Windows 10 and Windows 10 Server. Uh, as it's coming out, um, but I think we've had a lot of good discussions around uh, infrastructure. Um, let's go around the room and let's just say if there's one last thing on the topics that we've discussed so far, what would uh, what would that last thing be? Um, Andy, anything else you want to add? Looking briefly over the notes, I think it's it's not simply about ripping and replacing in order to move to a different technology. I think it's about doing doing better with what it is that you've got, but looking at the technologies, looking at what they're bringing, as Steve mentioned, trying to simplify it to provide the best performance for storage, the best performance for your compute, the best performance for your networking environment. So all those three together will give the best experience to your end user. Perfect. Barry, anything else to add? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think from, from my perspective, it's trying to look what's going to work for you, what's going to work for your organization, looking at all the technologies, whether that is the hyper-converged or the traditional technologies, where possible, shortlisting it, having a, a list of uh, items that you want a proof of concept with some real-life metrics. At the end of the day, running uh, IOMeter on a technology and proving you can get a million IOPS out of something is one thing. <laughs> But actually, what do you need? What, what's going to make a difference to your users? When, when they click a button and they expect something back, that's what matters to them. They couldn't care less how many IOPS they have. It's, it's how well does it work. And then the other is get your users involved. If, if you're doing something, find departmental champions. Find people that are going to help you evaluate the technology and, and, and help you understand what is and what isn't working and, and just work with the users in your business. Even in US federal. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Spend a day with me sometime. Chris, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's all about the experience, but is the experience a pipe dream? That's a very interesting side thread. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll come back. <laughs> That's why I said it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll come back and touch on that one at a, at a different time. Um, there you go. That's pretty good. Uh, Thomas, anything else to add? No, well, you you covered it, but I just want to say that I think I think assessment uh, is actually really really important. Before, I, I used to do a lot of PUCs before actually doing well, like intelligent assessment. Now there is actually software that can help. So like uh, Uber Agent from from uh, 
has a client that can help with that. He can look at GPUs and IOPS and CPU, all, all the necessary stuff. Also, Lexite, they have that uh, with the SysTrack. Uh, but it, everything is about getting happy users. And I, I agree on what, what Barry says, you know, talk with the user, making sure that they're happy. Because one thing is you're getting a lot of data out, and you're like, OK, wow, this is really surprising. Yes, I need this GPU component. End of the day, you want a happy user. You want to sit together and make sure that they are happy with getting that technology in their hands. Perfect. So happy users, happy life, right? Yep. That's Steve? the idea. Well, I think everyone said it all. I just add at the end of the day, the new standard for end-user computing is a local machine with flash memory storage and a GPU, to Thomas's point. So the standard has been raised. Even my new iPhone 6 Plus has incredible graphics performance. So we, that's what we have to raise the, the bench now and deliver the computing experience at that level. Perfect. Well, um, as we go forward, we're going to be talking about other uh, upcoming product releases, um, whether there's private or public betas that we can talk about, um, anything that, that goes along those lines. So more of the news and, and upcoming products. Um, for this podcast, I think we've, uh, we've hammered on a lot of different topics. And one of the reasons why I'm very happy that, that uh, you know, we picked the name End User Computing as kind of our fulcrum for this podcast is that there there are a lot of different technologies that go into uh, end-user computing. Um, VDI has kind of dominated the stage for the last several years, but um, you know there's a lot of surrounding technologies, server-based computing and, and mobility, MDM, MAM, some of the stuff that, uh, that Brian and Jack Madden are covering with uh, mobile application remoting is going to prove quite interesting uh, in this space of uh, end-user computing. Um, so I think we'll wrap up the topics uh, at that point. Um, I want to introduce uh, just a, a segment that we're going to have on the podcast from time to time um, that we're calling uh, Ask the EUC Experts. Um, so this is a, a form that I had built um, that's live on uh, www.eucpodcast.com. There's a uh, button in the top right corner to ask the EUC experts. And uh, it's a form where you can go on, you can fill out any questions that you may have. Um, these could be general questions. These could be specific questions. If there's a particular topic uh, you want the, the minds on this call to, uh, to discuss and, and labor over, uh, we'd be happy to get your feedback and uh, take those questions and answers uh, at some point uh, in future segments, in, in future podcasts. Um, maybe at some point we'll actually do uh, a voice where you can uh, call in and record, uh, kind of like a voicemail type of question, uh, or even have people on the show to kick different uh, topics off. Um, that's kind of the precursor, but that's the idea behind the Ask the EUC Experts uh, section. Um, also wanted to take a moment to uh, give a shout out to some of our fellow um, CTP and V-Expert uh, fellows in the community. Uh, Jarian Gibson and Andy Morgan uh, have recently started another EUC podcast uh, that's called Frontline Chatter. 
Um, you can find that on the web at frontlinechatter.com. Um, stay close and stay up to date with uh, some of the stuff that they're talking about. Uh, their format's a little bit different, but um, I've listened to the first episode that they recorded uh, with Rory Monaghan, and uh, it sounds like they're doing some really cool stuff. So um, check them out, frontlinechatter.com. And uh, in terms of uh, wrap-up, um, again, this is Dane Young, your host. You can find me on Twitter at YoungTech. Uh, on this show, we had uh, Andy Wood, Barry Combs, Chris Rogers, Thomas Poppelgaard, and Steve Greenberg. Anything else before we uh, conclude? No, look forward to the next yeah. one. Thanks very yeah, much. I, I just want to thank Dane for, for putting this all brilliant team together. So thanks for doing this, Dane. And Absolutely. how good it is actually sign up to Google Hangout. <laughs> <laughs> and now you have a Google Hangout account. <laughs> and it'll be easier next time. It will be easier next time. And if you ever want to stump the end-user computing guys, just ask them to get a, a Google Hangout live on the air and give them about seven minutes be before it goes live. And you'll it's find Danish. all kinds of... <laughs> with Danish. <laughs> Translations from Danish. All right, thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us. For those that were uh, on the crowd chat, we'll be doing this uh, every time we're doing a show. So join the crowd chat. Uh, it ties directly into your Twitter account. You can join in, in chat there uh, or just watch the live stream uh, that we're broadcasting via YouTube. Um, thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Uh, looking forward to talking to you soon. I wonder where you are.